So, the winner of the Oscar for Best Picture at the 2023 Academy Awards was that mind-bending cinematic tour de force entitled Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Have you seen it? So, um, the film, at one level, is a science fictional treatment of something that might be called the multiverse, a collection of simultaneous universes in which, get this, all persons are present in each universe as different versions of themselves. <laughs> but beneath the science fiction spectacle, which is impressive enough, there is this wonderfully tender story in the film about the complexities of marriage and mother-daughter relationships and the existential yearning of an immigrant family and certainly the search for meaning in a world that can so frequently and systematically confound that search for meaning. And I think one of the appeals of the film, at least for me, is that it creates this wonderfully imaginative scenario in which those who feel relationally isolated and sociologically trapped can experience the freedom of jumping from universe to universe, setting to setting, circumstance to circumstance, all of which exist concurrently, which is to say, the film imagines what it might be like to experience everything, everywhere, all at once. Hold on to that thought. In the scriptures that we heard moments ago from the Gospel of Luke and the New Testament book of Acts, we find a story about a strange and important moment in Jesus' life. Over the years, we have come to call this moment simply the ascension. And here's the essence of the story. The now resurrected Jesus offers to a collection of his disciples a bit of a farewell. And that farewell, I don't know if you notice this or not in the text, but that farewell is responded to immediately by a political question. One of the disciples speaks up and says, excuse me, Lord, but does this mean that you are now restoring the kingdom to Israel? You see, even in the aftermath of the resurrection, some of the disciples are still caught up in older thought patterns about messianic politics and how they relate to worldly politics. Uh, excuse me, Jesus, is now the time that you are going to restore political power to Israel? And you'll notice that Jesus does not send the disciples away for their question. He never does. He simply redirects their thinking. Disciples, he says to them, it is not for you to know God's calendar, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that come under only God's superintendency. That is not for you. But, he says, I will tell you something. The Holy Spirit will come upon you soon and equip you to be my witnesses, not only in Israel, but did you hear this? Also to the ends of the earth. I don't want you to miss the significance of what's happening in this moment. You see these disciples, and this is understandable, they're having difficulty seeing beyond the geographical parameters of Israel when it comes to God's redemptive activity. And so what does Jesus do? He expands their vision so that they might begin to understand that God's favor and love for Israel, which is real, 
is also God's favor and love for the entire world. And with that, we're told that a cloud takes Jesus up out of their sight. And by the way, that is all that we're told. I long for a detailed description in this moment. We're not given one. No elaborate details. Only a reference to this mystical ascension in a cloud. And the church bears witness to it, and some of you will understand or know the reference, but the church bears witness to it whenever we recite the Apostles' Creed together. And many of you know that section. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, and from thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. So, what is the theological significance of the ascension in the larger scheme of things? You may have some thoughts about that. I would sincerely love to hear them. I'll share with you this perspective. It's at least one of my perspectives about the ascension. I've come to look upon it, the ascension, as that moment when the resurrected Christ begins to experience everything, everywhere, all at once. Think about it metaphysically with me for a moment. As long as Jesus is a corporeal body, in this time and in this space, he's as limited as we are, right? He can only be in one place at one time, completely subject to all the limits of geography and biology and time itself. But this is where our imagination is so centrally and vitally important in faith. The ascended Jesus, the ascended Christ, well... That's a different reality. The ascended Christ in a way that we cannot begin to fathom, in in the way that we cannot begin to fathom, and this is the essence of our faith in so many ways. But the ascended Christ now has the mystical wherewithal to be simultaneously present in every single life and in every single location, which is to say, metaphysically, the ascended Jesus now has the capacity to be everything everywhere, all at once, as we need him to be. So the plot thickens in the moments after this ascension. The disciples are standing there, stupefied, staring up into the sky into which they just saw Jesus ascend. And all of a sudden, two angelic messengers appear seemingly out of nowhere, and they stand in their presence, and one of the angelic messengers speaks, hey, disciples, Why are you standing here looking up to heaven? Yes, one day Jesus will come back from heaven, but it's not happening today. And here's my translation of this moment. This is what this moment means to me. See if this resonates with you. I think the angel is saying to these disciples, disciples, the time has come for you to begin to experience the spiritual transition from looking up to living forward. Because there is an expansive ministry for the cause of Christ that the Holy Spirit is going to equip you to offer to this broken world. It is time for you to transition from looking up to living forward. And I feel a sense of passion about that. I'm emphasizing that because my conviction as I stand here is that the disciples' response to Jesus' ascension sheds some metaphorical light on what I consider to be one of the contemporary churches 
fundamental struggles. And that struggle is this. Too many churches, too many churches are far more fixated on looking up than they are engaged in living forward. Say that one more time. Let this resonate. See if you agree with it. Far too many churches are far more fixated on looking up than they are engaged in the work of living forward. Looking up at what? Well, you tell me. Perhaps looking up at the lofty cloud of past institutional glory. Or perhaps looking up at the lofty cloud of perceived theological rightness or moral superiority. Or perhaps looking up at the lofty cloud of a conceptualized heaven that we hope to occupy one day instead of boldly living forward into the often messy circumstances of a surrounding community in which suffering and marginalized souls are desperately in need of the ministry of Jesus and the outreach of the church. There was an opinion piece in the New York Times uh, this last week written by Jessica Gross, perhaps you read it, had a great title. The title was, Christianity's Got a Branding Problem, which could be treated as a tremendous understatement, I suppose, but Reverend John Cole and I were having some conversation in email about the uh, article. But the article suggests that the Christianity is struggling in American culture because it has come to be known far more for its political alignments and its institutionalized discrimination than it is for its transformational gospel and its ministry with the poor and the oppressed. And one of the persons who commented, who responded briefly to the article, identified only as E from Kentucky, but I thought his words or her words were interesting. This is what was said. The church's people are treating the kingdom of God as though it's nothing more than a future realm that can only be waited for. Instead of seeing the kingdom of God as a present treasure, E's exact words, a present treasure that Jesus is calling the church to offer to the community through tangible ministry. And do you hear the echo of an angel's voice in those words? The angel's voice speaking to the disciples? Church, disciples, why are you standing here looking up toward heaven? Instead of living forward into the sacrificial ministry that might impact lives powerfully with the love of Jesus. And by the way, that opinion piece inspired me to find another article that was written uh, in, uh, back in 2020, I believe. And this article was entitled, um, Faith in Protest, Young People Find Religious Fervor on the Streets. And the article focused on a group of self-identified religious young persons who are decidedly not connected to any institutional faith community. And yet they participate regularly and dynamically in protests for social justice. And one of the persons interviewed was a young activist by the name of Tahil Sharma, and his words were these, whenever I'm fighting for the rights of an oppressed person, 
I feel like I'm praying. Not in an altar, not looking up at a statue, but in the active pursuit of a justice that I believe God wants all people to experience. And again, when I reflect upon those words, it's hard for me not to hear the echo of an angel's voice speaking to the disciples in the aftermath of the ascension. Church, disciples, why are you standing here looking up at heaven? Instead of living forward into the kind of sacrificial ministry that can bring about justice, God's justice, for hurting people. Oh, it all inspires me to think back just a couple of years to a Black Lives, Matters, Black Lives Matter march near Pittsburgh in which I participated. And part of what I remember about that day was a conversation that I uh, initiated with someone that day that I had never met before. And as we were uh, talking with one another, he referenced the fact that he is of the Christian faith, and that inspired me to ask, well, are you connected? I'm just sort of curious, if you don't mind my asking, are you connected to any church community nearby? And he began to shake his head with an aggressiveness that let me know that whatever his convictions were on the matter, he held them deeply. No, he said, I'm not a member of any church. Would you mind if I ask why? And he looked at me and he said, no, you can ask and I have an answer for you, but before I give that answer, I need to tell you that I don't mean to offend you in what I'm about to say. And I don't know your church and your church might be very different than what I'm about to say about the church. So uh, not trying to offend anybody, okay? Understood. I'm not a part of any church, he said, because the two churches of which I've been a part for the last 30 years, have made me think that the people of those churches are much more passionate about preserving their potluck suppers than they are in making certain that the hungry people outside their doors have enough to eat. And you know where I'm headed with it. I started to hear as I reflected back on that conversation, the voice of an angelic messenger speaking to a group of disciples who were standing and looking up. Hey, dis disciples, church, why are you standing here looking up at heaven? Instead of living forward into the kinds of sacrificial ministry that will bring the love of Jesus into the nooks and crannies of people's difficult painful circumstances. I'm not wise enough, and you probably know this already, I'm not wise enough to have all the answers about the church's branding problem. We're going to have to figure that out together over time. But I have to believe that a really good starting point for the church is for the church's people to commit themselves afresh to the work of traveling beyond what? Institutional maintenance and theological territorialism and into what I like to describe risky and relational ministry. The kind of risky and relational ministry that will tend to inspire congregations to move out of the sanctuary and into those spaces of suffering and marginalization where I believe Jesus is already dynamically at work, waiting for us to join him there. 
And if any of that is true, then maybe we shouldn't be surprised by that truth because doesn't that sound a whole lot like the thing toward which the angels were telling the disciples to move in the aftermath of the ascension? Disciples, church, why are you standing here looking up? There's work to be done. There's risky and relational ministry to be done. Live forward into that for the sake of Jesus. And of course, the question is always, how will the disciples respond? And a related question, how will the church respond? And a more specific question, how will Christ Church New York City respond to that kind of challenge in the weeks, months, years ahead? The prayer of my heart as I stand here is that we, as the church here, will respond by making certain that our heads and our hearts are not lost in the clouds but engaged in forward living, all for the sake of Jesus Christ, who through the ascension has indeed become everything, everywhere, all at once. It is in his name that I offer these words. Amen.